Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service at Ananda Village. My name is Naya Swami Krishnadas, and this is Naya Swami Mantradevi. We'd like to especially welcome all of our guests here at the Expanding Light this weekend and those viewing on the internet. Today's topic, living in the presence of God. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 25, we read of a king, capitalized for the reference is to God, who welcomes certain devotees to the divine consciousness, saying, I was in hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. The elect asked him when it was they had served him in these ways. And the king answered, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. To see God as residing in every human being, as indeed he does, is to open oneself to limitless opportunities for serving him. Paramahansa Yogananda, in Autobiography of a Yogi, described a saint who lived in this consciousness as the greatest man of humility I ever knew. He described a seemingly chance encounter with this saint. Another day found me walking alone near the Haura railroad station. I stood for a moment by a temple, silently criticizing a small group of men with drum and cymbals who were violently reciting a chant. How undevotionally they used the Lord's divine name in mechanical repetition, I reflected. My gaze was astonished by the rapid approach of Master Mahasaya. Sir, how come you here? The saint, ignoring my question, answered my thought. Isn't it true, little sir, that the beloved's name sounds sweet from all lips, ignorant and wise? He passed his arm around me affectionately. I found myself carried on his magic carpet to the merciful presence. If you would see God, watch for him everywhere. If you would hear his voice, listen for it in all sounds and also in their supporting silences. If you would know God, seek his wisdom behind merely human knowledge. The Bhagavad Gita in the sixth chapter states, One who beholds my presence everywhere 
and all things dwelling equally in me. He never loses loving sight of me, nor I of him through all eternity. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone, and happy World Brotherhood Day. That's the perfect theme to fit into our topic today, which is practicing the presence of God. I'd like to start by reading from Whispers from Eternity. Prayer on the Beads of Love I tell my prayers on the beads of love, strung with my devotion. I direct them beyond all names, God, Spirit, Brahma, Christ, Shankara, Krishna, Buddha, and Muhammad. For all names are thine, and I shun no name, for I know thou dwellest in all forms. In thy cosmic dramas, on the stage of time, in in thy myriad acting roles, thou hast assumed innumerable names. Behind them all too I know thy one changeless name, eternal, conscious, self-existent bliss. Many times have I played with thee, Many songs of thine love have I sung. On the ocean bosom of thy eternal life, I've been nurtured by thee as a little tiny drop of life. I remember thy warm touch through the centuries. Whenever feeling the chill of separation, I turned homeward to thee. Again, in this daylight of of remembrance, let me play with thee. Let me sing thy songs. The World Brotherhood Day, which we will celebrate later this afternoon, was a tradition that um, Swami Kriyananda started in the early 80s. And it's one of the core aspects of Yogananda's mission, is bringing all souls together in brotherhood, and also bringing God consciousness to all souls. And that's what Ananda is about. It's bringing that God consciousness to souls everywhere. And we're so blessed to have Ananda because we can tap into Ananda whether we live here at the village, whether we live in one of our colonies, whether we live thousands of miles from any Ananda center. You can take part in it because as Swami Kriyananda said, it's a consciousness. Ananda is a consciousness, it's a movement. And that's what we're all here trying to go deeper into our spiritual life and find that at the core of our beings and we were just in India on pilgrimage and one of the things that I'm always struck by over there is the deep respect that Indians have on a soul level to other people it's so much easier to relate to people on a soul level over there because there's that deep sense of spirituality and it's funny because in English is the common language that unites the country for communication. But because it's not the first language of the Indians, they often don't use it quite correctly. 
And one of the things are road signs, and I was noticing as we were, we were on many, many roads, and one <clears throat> place, but that underlying respect comes through, which in their choice of words was interesting. Because in America, a sign would say, do not pass. Well, in India, the sign said, overtaking not necessary. <laughs> and then, it's just a gentle reminder. And, and then another sign that said, observe lane discipline. <laughs> and that last one especially because they're learning to stay in their own lane over there when they drive. They're, they're not real good at it yet, but they're, they're starting to do it more. And so that, that underlying respect is there. And also, of course, all the ways that they worship. And we went to many, many temples. And um, it was just a joy to go to the mall and see all the different ways that people worship. Many of the, the ones that we went to, like Shivananda temples, are like us. They meditate and they... Uh, basically do the same things we do, chant. And, but other temples, we went to Thailand afterwards, Krishnaras and I, and I was struck there by the deep sense of love for Buddha. And I've, I've never tuned into Buddhism before, particularly. I mean, this has been my path since I became spiritually conscious in this life. So I've delved deep into this one, but not other ones so much. And by going to Thailand, it's a very sweet country, I really tuned in to the deep devotion to Buddha. We went to one temple that was interesting. We went just as they were doing a ceremony. And so we went and we sat down, and there was a huge statue of Buddha there. It was probably 20, 30 feet high. And everyone's sitting and chanting, and several people were holding these silver trays with a bundle of fabric on them. And the fabric was this beautiful, goldy, orange color. And uh, so we chanted for a while. And then uh, when that was done, a monk came and took the trays and set them aside. And then he took the bundle of fabric and he heaved it up to two monks that were standing up in the lap of Buddha. Actually, as we were chanting before, I was thinking, that's where I'd like to be, <laughs> up in the lap of Buddha. And, and they were standing there, and they caught the fabric. And what this fabric was, it turned out to be these long, long lengths of fabric that stretched, well, probably from here to the middle of the dining room. They were very long. And so the monks took the ends of the fabric and put them through a metal ring that was tied to a rope. And after they had put all the fabric ends into it, someone on the back of the Buddha pulled the ring up and so that all these strands of fabric came up over the Buddha's shoulder. And so he was draped in all these fabrics. And then the the monks took the other ends of the fabrics and threw them out into the crowd. And so there were all these strands of fabric and we took them and we put them over our heads and you know and then chanted some more and then the chanting kept happening and you know it was very connecting that's that's I think the word that that I come to when I think of it it was like it connected us to the Buddha and it connected all of us to each other 
And um, we also went to a Chinese uh, temple, and it was a temple to Kuan Yin. And it was a beautiful statue of Kuan Yin and had this beautiful lighting that just made her seem astral. And there again, I was struck by the deep, deep uh, feeling of an ancient culture. And much, much devotion had gone into that. And in India, too, many of the temples, you know, in in all countries, you can go to many places, and they don't feel like they have much vibration or devotion. But in Kerala, we went to a wonderful old, old temple where three temples, one was Hanuman, one to Ganesha, and one to Shiva. And there again, their ways of, of devotion was to you... They had these shrines inside that are freestanding and you perambulate around 11 times around Hanuman and, and go over to Shiva. And the Shiva was just a little tiny statue in a little shrine. And it was so old. And you could just feel, again, the depth of devotion that had gone into that temple for how knows, who knows how long, centuries perhaps. But it doesn't matter what religion that we're in or what religion we follow. Those experiences, when we're ready, will come. St. Francis, when he had the inspiration to imitate the scene of Jesus' birth, and he created a manger and took it out to a grotto and invited people for a ceremony, and Jesus came alive for him. It was totally an inspiration to him because it was a living spirit, a living spirit. And so often, we spend a lot of times, and most people don't dig very deep into their spirituality. We spend a lot of time with our egos rather than with God, don't we, so much. A friend recently was lamenting to me that ego was overtaking life, that the thoughts were always coming in of, I'm doing this, I'm a good devotee, I'm a good, uh, I'm channeling blessings, I'm a good meditator, I'm a good teacher, all these things that come in. And we spend a lot of time thinking about that and trying to resist that coming into our life. But Swami has said that it's better to expand the ego than to deny it. So, even when we're, we have egos, we're going to have them for a while yet. And we have to transcend that by bringing God into it. Yogananda said that you can't get rid of the ego through self-effort alone. You have to draw on divine grace. You have to draw on the guru. You have to draw on that which will help us. It's like the ego is the conscious mind. And the conscious mind will never get there. It just will keep going around and around with all these problems and and ideas and possibilities. But it's when you tap into the superconscious mind that you get the solution. And it's that with our egos too. It's like if we do things with God, bring God into it, and expand our sympathies, expand outwards, then God will be able to draw us up by just like they drew up the cloth over the Buddha, you know, it's like you're just pulled up into that consciousness by expanding out and realizing that that the ego is there. Remember in the uh, Mahabharata, Bhishma is, symbolizes ego. And Bhishma can't be killed. He has to voluntarily die. And that's with our egos. 
they have to voluntarily die. And Bhishma had the power to never be killed. But finally he lay down and died. He realized the, um, how much greater it is to live in the soul qualities than to live in that, that little ego. And so drawing on that and expanding outwards is the way to transcend that ego consciousness. And Swami Kriyananda had also said, when I, when I say, I'll say Swamiji, and meaning Swami Kriyananda, but for people who are here for the first time, I was saying Swami Kriyananda, and Yogananda is who we refer to as Master. And <clears throat> Swami has also said that most of the time we think that what our spirituality is, is what we believe. And it's fun, isn't it, to talk about what we believe, to intellectualize, to throw it around, to, to delve into it, to explore it, and all that. But that he said, what our spirituality really is, is how expanded our hearts are. And that, how expanded our hearts are, will open up and let that grace come in. But so often we're living in the little part of our hearts. We live in that which makes us feel comfortable, that which gives us the um, security of home and, and what's familiar and everything like that. But that, when we do that, it makes us feel separate. And that is what Yogananda said, the fundamental delusion on the spiritual path, the fundamental delusion of all souls is that we're separate. That we're separate from each other. That we have separate realities. That I'm over here doing this and you're over there doing that. That you're a man or a woman or um, I like you or don't like you or I think that this person is, is wonderful. Those kinds of things. And that's the fundamental delusion that we are all separate instead of all little drops of that same ocean and the little drops that all become one when we go toward one again. So when we expand our hearts, and this is how we get to overcoming the ego, right? It's like that doorway is through our hearts. Open wide, keep my heart, you know, door of my heart open wide, I keep for thee. And as we open that, then as Jesus was talking in this passage, is we'll start to identify with all of our brothers and sisters. And that's the way that we do it, is by making our realities bigger and making it so that we embrace other realities in our own reality. The When we're in superconscious, when we're looking up on, when we're up in the mountain and we're looking down, then we can see everything so much more clearly. And we can empathize with other people. We can empathize with the pain people are in. We can empathize with the joy of the saints. We can be there in those realities of everyone. And when you do that more and more and try to relate to other people's realities and make that be part of yours, then you get so that you will react and direct your energy as much for another person as you will for yourself. But so often we get caught in that. We get caught and we forget. 
we forget that, oh, okay, that other person is me too. What I do, Yogan or and Jesus said, the, what you do to the least of my brethren, you do for me. Now, when he was saying the least of my brethren, now he didn't necessarily mean you have to go work in a soup kitchen. And he didn't mean that we have to all feed the poor. Feeding the poor is good. Feeding, taking, helping make this planet more comfortable is good. I mean, collecting sandals for kids in India is good. But it's not going to change the world. You know, it's going to help make what Yogananda called this mud hole of a planet a little bit more comfortable. But what we sometimes forget, because that gives us something to do in the Festival of Light when it says, though the taper of inner communion on the high altar burns low and is ill-attended, though still lit on lower altars of good works. Excuse me. So good works are necessary and we need to do them. Excuse me. Thank you. But sometimes in doing things like this, we maybe forget the subtle aspect of what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, the least that you do, so the least little thing that you do for your brother, for your sister, that you're doing it for him and you're doing it for yourself too. And that's in all ways when, you know, you're, you're crabby and you snap at somebody that you love. And then you're sorry that you did it, but you've already done that. And, or you're impatient because you're so busy and there's so many different details in life that you're too busy to take the time to really connect with another person or do something that would really help. I mean, who's your brethren? Your brethren is that who's closest to you and are all the people around you. Your brethren are the strangers on the streets. Your brethren is every single person that you see and on this planet. We're all little drops of the same thing. And so when we cling to that narrowness in our heart, it makes us feel very uh, insular, and, but sometimes safe. And then when we start to expand and we, we feel that release, that's why Christmas is so wonderful, isn't it? Because that is the time of year that we all have universal permission from ourselves and from everyone else to, to release that hold on our heart. And that's the time when wonderful things happen. People do wonderful things at Christmas time because they're able to, because it's accepted, because it's, because it's safe to do it then. And so making Christmas be every minute, every day, rather than it's just a certain time of year, that, okay, now I can relax that hold again. I don't have to be in that ego consciousness, but I can relate to everyone else. And we were watching recently a movie called Lost Horizon, and it's one of my favorite movies, and it's so inspirational. It's about a Shangri-La hidden in the Himalayas, and so it's a utopian community that our hero gets there by what he thinks is accident. And 
in this community, Swami said that he got many of his ideas for Ananda from this movie. And when you watch it, you see that. You see many of the things implicated, implemented here. And, but this community, the hero is talking to a young woman and saying what it's like out there. She's not ignorant. She reads a lot. And so she knows what the world is like out there. But she's lived there all her life. And he says to her... Um, so people out there, we need to have jobs. And she says, why? And he said, well, we need to have jobs so that we can make money, so that we can buy a house and have food. Why? And he said, well, because if we don't have jobs and we don't have a house, and then we can't save up for our old age and have security. And she said, Why? And at this point, it's getting into a fun little game with them. Because then he said, well, we have to have armies to protect our, our country. And she says, why? <laughs> in, this, in this place, everyone is, is what the High Lama, who's the man who founded the community and made it happen. And he said, the one universal thing of all religions is kindness. And he said, and what we... Practice here is moderation. Sound familiar? And moderation in the way that he said, we don't have rules. We don't, we don't try to force people into any kind of mold. And people are moderately good and moderately bad. And some people, you know, when they're bad, and some people are, when they're good, they're very good. But he said, and, you know, we have a little bit, sometimes people will not really do a crime, but there's no need to steal. He said there's no need because everyone's needs are met. And so in a community like that, it's, it's what probably Satya Yuga will be like in the, a future, one of the cycles of this earth. But meanwhile, we need to do that in our consciousness because Maybe people come in in an incarnation. They say, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to, going to make things better. And you start doing good things and all that. And after a while, you realize what needs changing is the consciousness. Because when the consciousness is changed, the whole world will change. When the consciousness is changed, your life will change. You change your consciousness and the outer circumstances will all adjust themselves to it. So... When we keep that in mind and keep thinking, okay, I'm not just me. It's not just my world. Open up your world. Extend your family. Include other people in your family. Make it be something that you do. If you don't do it, we are all busy. If you don't do it in physical ways, if you don't have time, then send out prayers. Be conscious every minute, though, what, what, it, what is my impact on this world? What am I doing? How is it affecting other people? And again, having that deep respect for other souls and that deep love for other souls, the more that we open our hearts up to that, the more that God can come in and that will expand our spirituality. That's how we get to God, is by expanding our hearts and taking it both internally and outwardly to 
our fellow man. It's what Yogananda called the social way of self-realization. Because here we are on this planet and we're here, all of us, to help uplift it. And what Swami said, and I'll end with this, that he said, and God is for everyone, that every person, what you need to do is take first happiness, then joy, then bliss, and make that your reality. And he said, start by taking a little bubble of happiness. doesn't matter where it comes from. Maybe something you just bought that gave you joy. But take that feeling of that happiness and like a little bubble, just focus on it and, and expand it and keep it alive. And don't think about the source. Just think of the happiness. And then let that happiness go into joy. And that feeling of joy, let that again have no parameters, have no walls around it, have no reason for it. Just enjoying that feeling of joy and then taking that into bliss. And as you take that joy into bliss, again, it knows no bounds. You're just feeling that bliss and then you become that bliss. And that's where we're all headed. Joy to you.